Hello, I'm Charles Cooper, and welcome to Kingdom Alive, a teaching ministry about the soon-coming royal reign of Jesus Christ. In this session, I continue my series, Disciples, Disciple, Understanding the Gospel of God. Having minored in Greek in college and spent four years studying at Dallas Theological Seminary, I thought I at least knew all the major theological viewpoints on every significant doctrine of the Christian faith. I was wrong. The difference between the gospel of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ is so simple, yet I just came to this knowledge in recent years. My journey was not an easy one. Listen as I explain my journey. Bibles open, minds engaged. Let's study. Now, I had the good fortune of being able to go to Bible college. Um, I graduated in three years instead of four because I was in a hurry. And I minored in Greek. Uh, my my major was pastoral ministries. I knew I was going to be a pastor. And then I went from there to Dallas Seminary where I spent four years working on the Master's of Theology degree. And Dallas demands that you have to study every book of the Bible when you, get, when you go through their program. So you have to do all 66 books. Dallas is very conservative, evangelical, straight-laced. And, of course, back then you had to wear a coat and tie to class. It, it didn't matter how bad it looked, you had to have a... <laughs> a lot of us couldn't afford it, and we, I mean, wow. Uh, Goodwill was a very popular store. And the professors at Dallas uh, were, at, when I was there, they were, they were the cream of the crop. I mean, they were at the top. John Walford, Charles Ryrie. Um, th these were the men who were writing the books, and they were setting the theological agenda for the conservative evangelical community on the dispensational side. And, uh, you know, I had a chance to sit in these classes with these men, and I had a chance to get to know them. That were, there weren't that many African-American students there, and so it, it didn't take much for everybody to know who you were, and so... I, be, I was elected to the student council, and so I got to know all these professors and spent time uh, with them. I trusted them because I had previously planned to go to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas, which at that time was the largest seminary in the world, and it prided itself on getting the best. And right in the middle of my filling out the paperwork for that, I heard about this school called Dallas Theological Seminary, which was more conservative, which I was very conservative in my theology. And um, so I decided right in the, right in the middle of this, the process of filling out all the paperwork for Southwestern to fill it out for Dallas, it was after the date, it was in April, and they had already accepted all the students for the fall by the time I sent my application in. But 
they accepted me and wow and I got in my little uh, Plymouth um, car it was one of those old Plymouth that had nothing but glass it was little thing it was a death machine for sure <laughs> and I drove down there had no I didn't know where I was gonna stay I had no money I had nothing but I said I, I want to go down there and I met this professor named um, John Grasbeek, who is still there, by the way. He was Bible department, taught the Greek class. That was all I was interested in. Those men I respected, had high regard for, uh, still do, great men of God. And pretty much because they were conservative, they believed the Bible was the word of God, they believed in inerrancy, they believed in uh, the... Um, the scripture was inerrant, uh, dispensational. I pretty much believe everything they taught us. Now, of course, my nature is to always question. Doesn't matter what you tell me, I'm gonna question it. So when I was sitting in my study working on this um, gospel of God, the first thing I had to do was to swallow my pride because my pride told me that there was not anything of a major significance in God's word that I didn't know. Now, I, didn't, I don't know all of it and there are certain levels of God's word that I don't know because God hadn't revealed that to us. But when it comes to the basics, the 35 fundamental truths of the Word of God, and I, I think there are 35, um, I know them, I believe them, and I hold them sacrosanct. But I did not know the gospel of God, nor did I understand it, nor had I ever heard it before, and that bothered me, one, because if you get up and teach people something that they've never heard before, they're going to be suspect because they wonder, well, who are you and where'd you get that from? And how are you the one that know this and nobody else? Which to me is a red flag for cautious. See, somebody come to me with that. I mean, I'll listen, but I'm very cautious because I don't think, I don't believe there's a whole lot that nobody knows okay on some things this week I was studying in my uh, study and I was reading about Martin Luther and Luther most most of you know that for a thousand years about 425 AD to about 16 right in there the gospel in for as Jesus died for your sins was locked up in the vault of the Catholic Church. The only people who could read the Bible and teach it were priests. And the church had gotten so off track about preaching and teaching that the average person the only way you could hear anything about the Bible is you had to go to church and you had to hear it in Latin because they taught the mass in Latin. So for a thousand years, just a thousand years, people did not hear the simple plan of salvation. For a thousand years. 
I mean, just, you, you don't believe me, you go read it. For a thousand years, people were not able to hear Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead so you could be forgiven for your sins. You, you had to be a part of the church and then you had to do what the church told you you needed to do, which involved indulgences and I mean, it was just a whole system to get you to um, be involved. But then came Luther, and Luther basically rescued the gospel from the darkness of a thousand years called the Dark Ages. And it took quite a bit of effort, by the way. If you know your church history, you know that Luther was persecuted. He was... The, the church did everything short of killing him as soon as they could. But all Luther really wanted to do was to say that salvation was by grace through faith and that if you believed on Jesus, that that was all that was necessary in order for you to be saved. Well, Luther rescued the gospel of Christ, but he didn't rescue the gospel of God. In fact, it has remained pretty much amalgamated. So when I talk about disciples and what a disciple is and what a disciple does, it is because New Testament discipleship is a component of the gospel of God, not the gospel of Christ. And unfortunately, this is lost. Now, in Mark chapter 1, verse 14 to 15, after John was arrested, put in prison, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Time is fulfilled. Kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is a critically important verse for you to understand and to know and to understand every word that it says. Now, this is the CSB um, Bible translation that we use as a church. And it correctly translates the good news of God. And I was very happy about that. In contrast, in chapter 1, verse 1 of Mark, it says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, which is, again, very accurate and correct. It's one of the few translations that gets this right. Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is distinct and different from the gospel of God that is in verse chapter 1, verse 15. Now, the, the, the Greek word to, to euangelio is how the Greek is pronounced. <coughs> Tu Angelio is the word translated the gospel. In, your, in most of your translations, 
um, unless you launch it out a little bit. But most of you probably use the ESV. Some of you may use the King James, um, New King James. Some of you NIV. Doesn't matter which translation, whichever one you like. But the word from which it is coming is this word to, which is the Greek word for the. Euangelio is good news. The first two letters, you, you usually only you only see it when you see the word eulogy, which means good words. But euangelio is a good message. So this word in the Greek language only means good news. So it is the interpreters, excuse me, it is the translators of your version who must decide how they're going to translate this word where it occurs in the text. Okay? Your translation, the people who produced your translation, they have to make a decision about how they're going to translate this word, okay? Because it, now, over the history of words, they, they, can, they can take on new meaning, okay? And words, as you know, as we've seen a lot of that lately, words over time can take on new meaning, but you as the translator, uh, you as the interpreter, you have to make sure that you keep those words in their historical context. That's your job as, as a person is to make sure now that when you translate this word, that you keep it in the context of the time in which that word was used with that meaning. See, that. I'm going to be a little pedantic, okay, but I'm going to have to because there are things you have to, you have to know this, otherwise, you, I'll show you how you can just constantly make mistakes in, in the interpretation of the Bible. You don't plan to do it, you do it because you don't know, okay? Now, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. That, that'll make it clearer. In, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, the Apostle Paul writes to the Galatian people, he says, I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, not that there is another gospel. Now, if you stop reading, which most people do, right here, it's going to produce three corollary problems. Paul says, you are turning to a different gospel, not that there is another gospel. So I guarantee you, if you go to somebody and say, did you know that there are two gospels in the Bible? They're gonna to say to you, no. Paul says there's only one gospel. That's because they stopped reading number one, and number two, they didn't pay attention to context. 
which is the major rule in Bible interpretation is context. Okay? If you stop right here, you're going to commit a serious error. Number one, you're going to commit what is called an illegitimate totality transfer, which is an error of Bible interpretation that occurs all the time. Because we as human beings tend to dummy down everything. It's just our nature to dummy stuff down so that we can remember it. Illegitimate totality transfer means to take a meaning, which may be legitimate, it's a legitimate meaning, but to take that meaning and apply it everywhere that word occurs, regardless of context. You don't pay attention to context, you just know that, hey, the word agape means God kind of love, and so every time you read the word love in the Bible, you think it means God kinds of love without looking to see, well, what word is being translated and what's the context? Because context can change the flavor and even the nuance of a word depending on how the author is using it. So if you read, if you read this verse and conclude that every time you see the word gospel, in the New Testament, it must mean the same thing, then if you do that, you're going to commit illegitimate totality transfer. You're going to transfer meaning from one verse to every other verse where that word occurs because you think that's what it says. And here you think that because Paul says there is no other gospel. Well, you say, well, it seemed pretty clear to me. Well, Paul did not say that there's no other gospel unless you stop reading the verse. The second problem is that once I say to you, hey, did you know that there are two gospels in the New Testament? You're gonna say, well, that's a contradiction because Paul said there's only one. So you're gonna conclude that that's a contradiction and because of the way you've been taught, you will thus come to a false interpretation of the text. And sadly, I can show you where this happens all the time when it comes to the Bible. Because as lay people, you, 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 don't, you didn't go to seminary, you, you, don't, you, you read your Bible simple like you read everything else. You just read it at face value, you believe what it says, and you take what it says. When in fact, the Bible is a little more complicated than that. Now I hate to say that because that makes people feel like, well, I, I can't read my Bible and know what it means. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying you can't understand your Bible. I'm just saying that it requires a little extra care in order to make sure you're understanding what the text is actually saying. This is what I'm trying to, the point that I'm trying to make. The gospel of Christ is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. That is what we call the gospel of Christ. And if you read Galatians correctly, then you're going to come to the conclusion. Now, if you continue reading in one Galatians chapter 1, verse 7b, Paul says, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. When Paul says that there is no other gospel, he's talking about the gospel of Christ. 
There is no other gospel of Christ. And that's exactly right. Ain't nobody else put up no proposition that they died for your sins and rose from the dead. That's kind of an exclusive claim there, brothers and sisters. Jesus Christ alone got that one covered. There are, there is no other gospel of Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, that he came to this earth, he died, he was buried, and he rose on the third day and was seen. There is no other person to date making that claim, Jesus Christ alone. Therefore, ladies and gentlemen, Paul is exactly right. There is only one gospel of Christ. There, there is not another. He's not saying there's not another gospel. That's not what Paul is saying. In the context, he's talking about the gospel of Christ. This is very important. And you gotta, if you're going to teach what I'm teaching you to someone, and I hope you will, because every believer needs to know it, you're going to have to make sure you explain to them because they're going to have this look on their face when you talk about the gospel of God and you tell them the gospel of God is not the same thing as the gospel of Christ. They're going to look at you cross-eyed because they've been taught that there's only one gospel. And there is only one gospel of Christ. Okay? This is very important. You have to context words you have to put them in context, okay? The good news at the time of Jesus' ministry was the gospel of God. Now, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, now I want to make it clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand. Now, um, this is where a lot of the, the trouble occurs. In the CSB, they chose to, to translate to, to euangelium the gospel. It would have been better if they translated it the good news. In fact, everywhere this word is used in the New Testament, it should be translated good news except Verse 1 of chapter 1 of the Gospel of Mark. Because there, Mark has allowed history, time, to catch up with where he is. Mark is writing his letter 30 years after Jesus was here. 30 years after Jesus was on the earth, the word had come to have the meaning as an apocopated short descriptor of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it was 30 years after Jesus left the earth that the word had acquired that meaning, but not before, okay? So Paul is describing to the Corinthians, he says, I came to you with the good news. And he says, by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you, unless, he says, you believed in vain. Now he begins the descriptor in verse 3. He says, for I passed on to you as most important what I also received. Number one, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. That's number one. Okay? Number two that he was buried, 
Number three, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Now, this is what we all know. Okay, this is what we've been taught. This is what we've come to believe. The gospel. Jesus died, was buried, and was raised on the third day. We, we have now come to say that is the gospel of Christ. But that is not what Paul says. That is not all of what he says. Because I want you to notice something. He continues... He says, my gospel that I taught y'all in which you are saved if you believed and you didn't do it in vain, he says, and that he appeared to Cephas then to the 12. See, Paul has four components of his gospel. Not three. This is why you have to be very careful. The good news of Jesus Christ can be reduced to he died for me. That's good. That is the good news. The components of the good news is depends on the author, what he wants to list. Because in the Greek language, you cannot separate number four from one, two, and three. The Greek the language won't allow it. There are four. He died, he was buried, he was raised. We saw him. Those are the four. If you're going to talk about Paul's gospel of Christ, you got to talk about four components because he tells you there are four. Not three. This is very important because people get stuck on saying, well, Paul says the gospel, Jesus died for our sins. He was buried on third day road. No, that ain't all what he said. This is why the word should be translated good news, because the good news can be a pocket. It can be shortened down to Jesus died for our sins. That is the good news. Or I can say Jesus, he, he was mistreated, beaten badly and bruised. He died, he was buried. On the third day he rose, and he was seen by Peter and the twelve. That is the gospel. Because that's what Paul says his gospel is. The point that I'm trying to make for you, ladies and gentlemen, is that you need to understand that context is critical. You have to stay within the context. And the context is defining the parameters. If you want to be biblical, Paul's gospel of Jesus Christ, Christ died for our sins, he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to scripture, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. That's Paul's gospel. That's Paul's good news. That, ladies and gentlemen, is what Paul taught. That is what he preached. Now, I needed to give you all that in order to get you ready now to go into what is the gospel of God. John was arrested. Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. What is, God, what is the good news of God? The, the, the word good news is the word translated gospel in your Bible if you don't have the CSV. Now, obviously, what is this good news? What is the good news of God? We've already determined that it is not the good news about Jesus Christ. 
that, that, that's what it is not. What it is, is this. Jesus came to Galilee shouting out loud the good news from God, colon. Now, do I have any English teachers? What is the purpose of a colon? So when he, in the CSB, they put a colon right there, which tells you now they're going to give you the content of the good news from God. There are three. Jesus lists three. He says, number one, the time is fulfilled. Number two, the kingdom of God has come near. Number three, repent and believe the good news. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the gospel of God. Now, I'm going to, uh, take, I'm going to take time to show you that each one of those phrases, one, two, and three, are powerful. They are powerful. They are potent. They are the essentials of the faith of belief in Jesus Christ as the king whom God sent to this earth. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 to 17, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. Now, this is Matthew reporting what Mark put in two verses. Mark puts in five. Uh, Matthew puts in five. When he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. He left Nazareth and went to live in Capernaum by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Neptali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Nephtali along the road by the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, what Mark summarizes in verses 14 and 15, Matthew summarizes in verse 17. Matthew 4, 17 is the same as Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Matthew says, repent because the kingdom of heaven at hand. Mark says, Jesus came preaching the gospel of God. Time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has drawn near. Repent and believe the good news. They mean the same exact thing. Okay? Now, what's really important here is that Matthew says, from then on. Now, I've already taught you, in Matthew's gospel, the phrase from then on is a special word that means from this point forward, but not before. In other words, Jesus never preached repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near until after John was put in prison and it was his first sermon. The first public sermon that Jesus preached after John the Baptist was put in prison was that people need to repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he's going to preach this sermon for three years. 
everywhere he goes, he will preach this sermon. Because it is the message of Jesus Christ. It, it is the anthem. It is the bugle, ladies and gentlemen. It is the essence of his call. Um, you, you're going to hear me talk a lot about pre-Easter and post-Easter message of the New Testament. The pre-Easter message of Jesus is different from the post-Easter message of the apostles. At resurrection, Easter is the divider. The pre-Easter message of Jesus is the gospel of God. The post-Easter message of the apostles is the gospel of Christ. They're two entirely different things. I can understand why the disciples, now don't, uh, don't, don't, don't go too fast. The, the primary emphasis of the New Testament message by the apostles was the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the gospel of God is there. In fact, the book of Romans is about the gospel of God, not the gospel of Christ. But, of course, um, Luther, Martin Luther came and said, hey, boys, salvation is by grace through faith alone. And everybody said, oh, that's new. And Luther said, no, it's in the Bible. And today, we're beginning to discover that we need to have a renaissance again for the gospel of God because the gospel of God is far more important to you than you think. You don't even know it. The gospel of God is the reason why you live your Christian life the way you live it. You don't live the Christian life so that you can go to heaven when you die. Because you're going to spend eternity on this earth. Right now you have a, there was a one ad. God put a one ad in the earthly times. Kingdom positions available. Apply through the gospel of Christ. Jesus Christ, it says in Hebrews chapter 12, Jesus Christ, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, seated at the right hand of majesty, authority and power, the kingdom, throne of God. The gospel of God is God's personal invitation to you to earn the right to sit as a king on the throne of Christ. It's, it's a one ad. The gospel of God is a wanted. Help wanted. 
kingdom positions available. You have now the opportunity to earn the right to be a king with Christ in his kingdom. It is not automatic. You don't get it just because you got saved. You have to earn it. You have to work for it. And the nastiest part of all is that you have to suffer to get it. This is why, ladies and gentlemen, this is so important. See, I didn't know this. I had no idea. I've lived my whole life completely ignorant. Ignorant. Not, not, not just ignorant. Wait. You don't understand. I'm 65. I've wasted 60 years of my life working for something that I had no clue about what it was that I was doing. See, you have no idea. Because once you get it, you realize that if someone hasn't been teaching you what, how to walk in the spirit and how to produce fruit that are divine instead of flesh, if you haven't, if you, friend, you can give a million dollars, which is, you can give a million dollars to a person. That person who got the million would be very excited. But if you gave that million dollars for the pump and circumstance and the praise of man, you should have kept it because as far as God is concerned, it will benefit you not one dime because it's the attitude and the quality of the work that counts, not just the gift. So the Apostle Paul, I, I used to read this verse with Paul, and I said, hey, Paul, what, what is wrong with you, Paul? Paul said, at least while I have preached to others, I myself might be a castaway. I used to always, that used to bother me. What, what is Paul talking about? If, if anybody's going to go to heaven, certainly it ought to have been Paul. He's not talking about going to heaven. He's talking about the rewards for faithfulness. He knew that there was a very fine line and that you can give your body to be burned. But if it's not motivated right, it's a waste of time. That's what we're after. This is why this is so important. Ain't much in this world I'm willing to die for, but this is one. I'm willing to be fired. I'm willing to be terminated. I'm willing to be whatever. It don't matter to me because this is the most important thing that I'll ever do. I wrote a book. The book will be out in two months, hopefully. I just finished it. It's been a journey, let me tell you. But I finished it, sent it to the, sent it to the editor Friday. Lays this whole thing out. For you people who can't wait to get to the end of the book, you'll have it. If you type my name in Charles Cooper Podcast in Google, it'll pop up. 
in, through different things, um, iTunes, Audible, pod companies, it's all out there. All of the previous messages are online in the podcast. And I, I really need you to go back and listen to them because you gotta compound this. It has to be done over and over and over. Um, I can only repent that God to God that I have been so unknown. I would have liked to have been able to lay it on God that he, like the, the disciples, didn't get it until Jesus left, but I have no excuse. I went to seminary. I spent $60,000 in seminary to learn how to teach the Bible only to not have gotten the most important message in there straight. It does caution us to be wise, to be wise. Father, I have to believe that somehow you are Somehow you're going to make it right, but I know there are going to be consequences for how we live. It's not all going to be swept under the carpet. It's not going to be okay. There are going to be serious consequences to those who prove unfaithful in their fellowship. May not like it. May not agree. Doesn't matter. It doesn't change the reality. I just pray, Father, that you'd give us time to understand your word. And I thank you that it doesn't take forever. In some cases, one decision is all it takes. Thank you for the patience of your people, for their willingness to listen. Help us to be obedient and not to waste time on the frivolous and foolishness of this world. To that end, we pray. Amen. Thanks to each of you for joining me in this study. Visit KingdomAlive.us. That's www.kingdomalive.us for more information. Please tell a friend and join us next time. Until then, train to reign.